Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Napa, Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Lindy Bauer. All right, today we're joined with Braden Lundgren, who is serving as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when COVID broke out way back in March. Welcome, Braden. Glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. All right, Braden, take us back to about over two years ago now when you first got that call. What did, what did you think when you saw you were going to the Philippines, 7,000 miles away from Idaho? Well, it was not what I expected, but um, I think just a whirl of emotions kind of came over me. I was excited, but I was also nervous and um, just anxious about what was going to happen and what I was going to experience. So it's hard to describe, but most of it was excitement. Awesome. Did you know any of the language or the food or anything before you went there? No, I knew absolutely nothing about the Philippines when I opened that call. <laughs> nothing. What? Which language did you end up learning? I ended up learning a language called Tagalog, awesome. which is the national language in the Philippines. But they also have about a thousand other different dialects that they speak. Um, so there's lots of different dialects of Tagalog as well as another language called Bisaya. But the area that I served in was mostly just the Tagalog-speaking area. Awesome. How many months did it take you to get that language where you felt fluent and comfortable with it? Well, I felt comfortable with it about four to five months in, but I wasn't really close to fluent. So obviously you keep working on it and keep growing with your skills and your language skills. And I'd say about seven to eight months I felt pretty fluent that I could speak and do and say just about whatever I wanted to. Awesome. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Um, can you describe for us one of your strangest things you ate while you were there? Yeah. Um, that's always my favorite question because they eat a variety of different things, but I'd say one of the weirdest things that I ate, um, was lungs. I had pig lungs before. Interesting. Yeah, it was really uh, were they, interesting. Were they, were they good? They were okay, actually. I didn't, I didn't know what they were until I bought them. And the guy was kind of confused because he knew I was an American and I probably have never eaten that before. So he said, do you really know what this is? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And he's like, no, you probably don't. And I said, no, I really don't know what it is, but I wanted to buy it anyways. So he said, that's lungs. And I was like, oh, okay. So I bought it and I ate it. And it was okay. Did I you wouldn't, fry it up or would you? It was, so most of their meals, they have rice, right, mm-hmm. on a plate. And then they have like a soupish kind of thing that you can put on top of it. They call it an ulam. Mm-hmm. So an ulam can be really anything. It can be chicken and vegetables. It can be lungs and vegetables. It can be something else and whatever. You just put it on top of rice. So that was my ulam for the day was the lungs. And then another thing that I ate was balut, which is just a little... It's a fertilized baby egg of a of a duck or a chicken or something like that. But it's fertilized, but then they bury it in the ground. So that when you open it up, it's kind of like a the bird is in there and you can eat it, but it's dead. So I ate that as well, which I wouldn't eat again. I only did it once. But you were brave and tried it out the first time. I wanted to try it. I wanted to do my best to be a Filipino and part of the culture, but... Yep. And they do have some amazing cuisine. I love some of the Filipino food that I've tried before. Do you have anything? What was one of your favorite? One of my favorites. Oh, man, I'm forgetting the name right now. Um, I did learn how to cook menudo, which is 
just a combination of can be carrots and potatoes and kind of like a pasta sauce and then you put your meat in there which can be anything like chicken or usually we had chicken Mm. so that's what we used but that was one of my favorites and then a couple of others were just some fish that we had I can't remember the names of the fish because they were kind of just whatever we could find but um, those are some of my favorites that's awesome thank you yeah all right, Brayden, let, let's jump into um, your experience of what happened in the Philippines when the virus started to be, um, when the virus started taking over the Philippines, when it became a larger uh, problem over there. What was your experience seeing things change? All right, well, it was kind of a long experience. It didn't happen in one day. And it didn't really end ever until I went home and I wasn't there, um, which was which was a long process for me because I loved the Philippines and it was it was a place that I began to call home. About five to six months in, I just got comfortable and I understood the language and the culture and it's just it's like your home that you live in right now. Just you call it home and that's where you want to be and that's where you love um, to hang out with the people that you care about. So that's what the Philippines was for me. And um, when COVID started to hit, it wasn't a big thing at first. We were kind of surrounded by, people called it like a shield. We didn't really get a whole lot of cases um, until about two weeks after it started to get a big deal around the whole world. So changes took some time, but the first big change I would say is when the President Duterte Um, said that he was going to shut down Metro Manila, which relative to Idaho would mean that you close down the city of Boise and nobody can get in or out. So lots of what happened there were lots of families got separated because of work. People travel into Metro Manila and they travel out just like they do for Boise. So if you wanted to work, you'd have to find somewhere to stay inside because you wouldn't be able to make it out. Um, So lots of families were displaced and lots of people were, um, they had to kind of change their their lifestyle, obviously. So that was the first biggest change. And And for the missionaries, how did that that separate you? Yeah. Yep. Our mission, we had part of our mission inside Metro Manila and about two thirds of it were outside. So we closed part of our mission in and our mission president had to stay inside. And at that time during my mission, I was I was an assistant to my president. So along with the regular missionary responsibilities, we were just there to assist our president with whatever he needed every day. So me and my companion left Metro Manila, our area, and we went to a new area outside. So by the time Metro Manila closed, we were kind of on our own out there to help about 100 missionaries in that area outside of Metro Manila that was part of our mission. And, and our did, mission you have, did you have a place inside. to live outside of there? Or yes, did we did. We had an apartment. It was a small apartment, but we found a place to live, and it was pretty central to where we were outside of Metro Manila. So that was the first biggest thing was that shut down. And then after that, all the other cities inside uh, Metro Manila and outside started to shut down as well. So they would put up checkpoints at the roads, and they would just guard they wouldn't let you walk in and out and they wouldn't let cars drive in and out you'd have to you kind of be stuck where you were so how many missionaries became isolated as a companionship due to that 
Um, well, we were lucky enough that we didn't see too much of isolation while we were getting pulled out of there. But there were a couple of companionships that were working on um, trying to get out of their house and their area because the barangay police, which is kind of like the police stations here, they decided to shut down all the roads. So not too many isolations while I was there, but afterwards I know that most companionships were isolated to their to their areas, which sometimes wasn't where they were supposed to be, but that's just what happened because the government was um, just trying to protect everybody and keep everybody safe, so. So, so what was your role um, in that area then? Um, our role, well, we had a car. Mm-hmm. We were the only companionship that had a car within our mission. So we were just... I hear you had a kind of an interesting background to that car. Can you tell us about <laughs> this car? Yeah. So the main car that we would usually drive is kind of just, just a regular van. But it was one of those old vans that you can see... Um, had a couple of dents and dings to it. But the car that we were blessed with was our mission president's car. So while we were out driving around, we had a really nice car that we were able to borrow from our mission president um, that allowed us to get around to other areas. So that was our job. We didn't um, do too much teaching and too much um, finding while we were there, but we were out visiting missionaries and making sure they were all safe and making sure that they had the necessary to apply supplies to possibly go into a lockdown situation where mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to leave your house. So when, when it came time to start trying to get missionaries packed up and flying them out, what kind of challenges did you come up with or did you find and how did you, were you able to overcome those challenges? Well, at first it was the challenge of timing because we just received a text saying that we were going to leave. So we only had about an hour to pack up and get to a rendezvous point, which was outside of Metro Manila. And for those missionaries inside of Metro Manila, they had a rendezvous point as well. But we were all given about an hour. So we were told to pack light. And usually as missionaries, you're traveling around already. So you live out of a suitcase. Um, Usually missionaries have about two or three. But after our hour-long pack-up session, I ended up only bringing home one that was about 44 pounds. So we left shirts and shoes and ties and money and food and just everything that wasn't a necessity. We left at home in our apartments and we took off. So for us, it was a little bit of a different experience for me and my companion because once we were packed up and we were in the car, we got to the rendezvous point and we dropped off our luggages and things. And then we took off again and we started picking up missionaries and getting them to the rendezvous point. And that all happened at about, I'd say, maybe about noon, one o'clock in the afternoon. So that started like a week or a week and a half long ordeal where we were only getting three to four hours of sleep each night. We'd wake up really early and make sure missionaries would get to the rendezvous point um, on time and so that we could all head down into Metro Manila when the time came, just like the church was asking us to. Oh, so you, you were gathering missionaries from different spots and you were going to this one spot and staying there. Was mm-hmm. it a church or what, what was the rendezvous spot? The rendezvous spot was the Missionary Training Center in Manila. You were there, okay. Yep, so that's where I went before I mm-hmm. served my mission and that is also where I went to go home. Um, but it's an area that has about 
300 missionaries max capacity. And so what every mission did was they first gathered up all the foreigners that were in their mission to a couple of places, a couple of rendezvous points. And then they sent all of those missionaries to the MTCs, what it's called, the Missionary Training Center. So after that happens, we had all of our missionaries at our rendezvous points. And with some help from members there, we were able to get rides for every single one of those missionaries and all of their stuff all the way down. It was about two hours to the to the training center in Manila. And, and did the training center currently already have missionaries that are being trained? Yeah, a couple, yeah. So it was them and then adding your group? Yep, I'd say they had about 20 to 25 missionaries there being trained. Mm-hmm. And to get there, we crossed checkpoints with armed military guards and there was about four of those that we crossed and they all had guns and they were all checking everybody's temperatures, uh, making sure everybody wasn't Um, crossing when they weren't supposed to. We were given papers from the area presidency or the the leaders of the church for the whole Philippines area um, that said we were supposed to be crossing, so they let us through. But yeah, by the time all of our missionaries were there, we were already at a capacity of about 900 missionaries. And by the time all the other missions got there, we were at a capacity of about 1,200. So we were there for three nights, and most slept on the floor. I had the blessing of sleeping on the tile floor in our room where we were only supposed to have four people, but because we were so full, we had five and even six people in our room sleeping and waiting to be able to be shuttled to the hotel and eventually to the airport. So the MTC was full of missionaries, about four times the max capacity by the time we were we were looking to get everybody's flight scheduled to get home. A thousand missionaries jam-packed. <laughs> yeah. Not knowing when you're leaving. Yep. How'd you spend your time? That was the hard part. That was really tough. The MTC did their best to help keep missionaries focused on their purpose and to study and to, um, to be focused on missionary work. But there wasn't a whole lot we could do. Right. So what we did most of the time was gather as a mission and we could do studies as a mission or we could watch a church movie like 17 Miracles or we could watch um, training videos that were produced by the church to help us focus on our purpose. Um, Many times I was focusing just on doing personal studies and praying and asking for answers and seeking, seeking revelation there in the MTC while I had the time to do so. Because the couple of days before that, getting ready and sending everybody home, um, personal studies and things like that, there wasn't a whole lot of time to get all right. that done. So, Were you able to get all of the missionaries to the MTC that needed to be there? Yeah. Was there any um, uh, larger challenges getting some of them there than others? Yes, because by that time, there were some countries that already closed their borders. So some missionaries weren't able to fly home. We had some missionaries from Pakistan in our mission, and they weren't able to oh, fly home. Oh, so when you home. say you had missionaries, a thousand missionaries, you're not talking about just the Filipino missionaries. So no, what this other was countries only, were coming this was from? only foreigners. So most of us were Americans. Some of them were from Fiji, Tonga, Pakistan, Canada, um, New Zealand, Australia. There are missionaries from all over the world, Brazil, um, Germany, China. Oh, wait, sorry. I, so you don't have missionaries coming from other missions? You're just talking missionaries from those areas that were serving in the Philippines? Yes. 
I see. Okay. Yep. So all the foreign missionaries, whether they were from Canada or China or wherever, or the United States um, in the Philippines at that time, were all transported to the MTC. Right. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, there were some missionaries who didn't get to travel home at the same time that all of the other foreigners did because their country had already closed its borders. So, oh, they could not go home. Yeah, they couldn't go home. Got there it. was no mm-hmm. flights going in or out. But I think they have made it home now since that time. So they did eventually get up on a plane and go home, but just not at the same time as everybody else, just at the very beginning. And we saw pictures of missionaries being sat home on a plane all together. Was that your experience? Yep, yeah. The church, um, to get all of those missionaries home, the church chartered five Boeing 747s to come and pick us up. So when the Boeing 747s came over to the Philippines, they allowed Filipinos who were looking to get home to fly on those those airplanes, and they were able to make it home. And then after that, we were picked up and taken home. So... Um, yeah, I had about 285 to 300 other missionaries on my flight and we were all just crammed in there and we took off at the airport, which was supposed to be shut down at that time. Three days before that on Wednesday, the president said he was going to shut down the, the airport and no travel was able to, supposed, was supposed to be able to go in or out, but we left on a Sunday. So we were able to still make it to the airport and fly out even though everything was supposed to be closed. And how did that happen? I don't know how that all happened, honestly. That was one of the blessings that I saw. Just the way that our church and the way that people were willing to help us make it home no matter what the cost. I mean, at that time, Corona was and the COVID-19 pandemic was a big thing worldwide. And many countries were already making it Um, impossible to meet in groups larger than 10 or even larger than five. But if you think about it, we were in a building that had 300 max capacity and there was 1,200 of us there. And we were still able to be there and we were still able to be bused to the hotel that night before we flew out with thousands of missionaries there at the hotel and then to all get on the same flight and all make it home um, it was it was a miracle how that all happened. I don't know all of the behind-the-scenes things, but I do know that there were many people here in the United States that weren't sleeping at night so that they could make sure and schedule missionaries' flights home so that we could all make it back safely. That's incredible. It was incredible to be on this side and to see, not knowing all the details of what was happening in the Philippines or other countries where they were trying to get missionaries out of, but to see... They, they were being taken care of. Everyone's getting home, getting to where they needed to be. Um, thank you, Braden, for sharing, sharing that part of your story. Um, so you, today is the day that you would have returned home. Yep. Had the September pandemic 9th. not taken over the world for a little bit. Um, what, are, what, are your, what are your feelings today, looking back on your mission and, and seeing where, where you are today? Well, I have actually been able to accomplish a lot since coming home a little bit early between then and seeing where I would have been now. Um, Obviously, I do wish that I could have stayed because that was my original plan. But there was a lot that went into me being able to recognize the Lord's hand and to see the way that he works in everything that's happened. And I mean, I recognize it wasn't just me that got... um, 
that got influenced or that got kind of sucked into everything that happened. The whole world had to change the way that it does things. And now we're all still experiencing that. But I reviewed my mission today as I was getting ready for this podcast. And I was just thinking back on all of the things that I was able to do and experience and see and learn. And I couldn't fit it all into words. That's why it's kind of hard for me to express sometimes what I feel about my mission. Mostly because it was my home and that's just what it became. And so when I like to talk about my home, I want to share about all the things that I love and all the things that I learned and the people that I met and relationships that I made. And to have that all kind of stripped away in a matter of three days was really, really hard. Um, Super tough. But I think it all started in the MTC. When looking back on my mission, that's one of my most favorite times is when we were all bussed to the MTC and we were there for a couple of days. And I had a lot of time to do personal studies and say prayers and and just kind of focus on what I was feeling and what I was going through. And looking back on it right now, I am I'm thankful for the opportunity that I had to be a part of one of the biggest movements of missionaries in the history of missionary work. And it's been a process to get there to those feelings it wasn't a just one day I just all of a sudden felt that but overall what I feel right now is just gratitude for being able to go and to serve and to be there and experience the things that I did one additional thing about being able to recognize the Lord's hand in my life and in the circumstance that I was given of coming home from my mission early was that at first it it didn't go very well. It wasn't something that I wanted. And I think that that happens when, whenever that happens to any of us, whenever somebody encounters something that they wish went another way, they try and fight it. Um, that was something that I saw myself doing. Not a literal fight, but in the questions that I was asking myself. I was constantly asking myself why, or I wish it was like this, or I wish it was something else. When in reality, that was just taking me down a road that I didn't want to go, down a road that I could have gotten upset, that I could have been um, bitter about what was happening. But I recognized that. And I think there, lies the challenge for everyone is being able to recognize in the moment when we need to change. And for me, that happened in the MTC when we were all waiting there to be able to go home. I recognized in myself that the questions that I was asking weren't the good questions. Questions I should have been asking were, How can I learn from this? Or what is the Lord trying to teach me in all of this? Or questions along those lines that open your mind up to hopeful and to faithful routes and to faithful answers. For me, that was the first step in being able to find out and see the Lord's hand in everything that was happening. And as I continued to ask myself questions like that, I began to find answers. I didn't find them all at once. Like I said, it was a process, but the things that I learned 
I only learned them because of what was happening and because of the circumstance I was in. If I was in any other different circumstance, I wouldn't have learned those things that I did. And then eventually after we, after we uh, were sent home and we flew home and I saw my family for the first time after almost two years, I again realized why the Lord had me sent home a little bit early from my mission. And those are all just personal things that I learned for myself. It might be different for others, but my family is very important to me. And being able to see them after such a long time was a blessing. Before my mission, I expected not to see my brother for four years. Because when I left, he was turning 18. And before I got home, he was planning on leaving for his two-year mission. So the timing would work out that we wouldn't be able to see each other for about four years. But coming home early allowed me to see him just after 20 months and also allowed me to see him off onto his mission, which he is now serving in Alaska. And hopefully he'll get to Argentina when everything, when everything clears up. But that was another blessing that I recognized. Again, it didn't happen right when I saw him at the airport, but as I was here at home with him and with my family, I recognized that that was another reason why I came home a little bit early. And all of those questions, the good questions about what I was learning and what can I learn from this or what was God trying to teach me or how can I better myself and how can I change to be a better person because of what I'm experiencing. All of those questions were answered. To this day, all of my why is this happening or what is this, what does this mean? All of those bad questions were not and have not been answered. But all of the good questions that I asked myself since when I came home and even now that I'm asking myself still have all been able to be answered. And it takes a lot of faith to do that. But faith is the first step in doing anything important. If you want to be a successful person, if you want to learn, and if you want to grow, faith in things that you can't see and having hope for something in the better in the future is the first step. And that's what I learned. Probably one of the biggest things that I learned is having faith in the Lord's timing. That even though we don't see it in the moment, they will all work out in the end. And it has. Um, since coming home from my mission, I've been able to complete an online semester of college. I've been able to have a surgery on my ankle that I needed to get done because of things that I did to it in the Philippines. Um, I've been able to grow relationships within my family and see miracles here at home and be a part of service opportunities here at home and um, be able to learn and to take that time during quarantine to study and to feel feel the spirit. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't here and if I wasn't put in this situation. And I think that is a process or at least the process that I went through to recognize the Lord's hand and things that I didn't want to happen. But now I recognize were the best thing to happen for me and for what I needed that time in my life. Awesome. Thank you, Braden. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your heart with us and, and your home. Um, can you can you send us off with a goodbye and 
Tagalog? <laughs> if you just can say goodbye in Tagalog. <laughs> yeah, it's really simple. It's one word. If you want to say goodbye, you can say ingat, which is I-N-G-A-T. Let's say it again. Ingat. Awesome. I'm not going to try to repeat it. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Braden. Sure appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And if anybody would like to contact me about my mission experience or other things, I will be attending BYUI here in the fall. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you, and may the Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. Credit is given to Kim Keller, who oversees the podcast, both Lindy Bauer and Kim Keller, who are our hosts, Casey Maddox, the project director and announcer, Rachel Bauer, who was our site director, Likewise, thanks also to Michelle Lundgren, our project manager, John Freeman, our communications coordinator, Jesus Gomez, the key grip and podcast editor, as well as Don Ricker, our digital platform manager.